Tonight's show is brought to you by the New Mexican Chili Cartel, Bendetti Optics, and you, our listeners. I will say this, though. Your sinuses and your colon will both drain rapidly. What is up, all of you wayward souls, and welcome back to the Wayward Stories podcast. Wayward Stories is the podcast where we tell the tales of our adventures and our wanderings and our wonderings. How's everybody doing tonight? I hope you are all doing well. I hope you are all recovering well from your holiday. Um, My holiday went great. This week has sucked. This week has been hot garbage. Absolute hot garbage. You don't ever want to come back to work after taking some much-needed time off, some PTO. If you don't use it, you lose it, they say. But what they don't tell you is, if you do use it, they'll abuse you when you get back. And that's how this week has been. It has been no fun, but you know what? It is Friday night. I am here in the studio looking at Van Gogh's Starry Night on the other side of the camera to which I am speaking. I am home. I am warm. It snowed today here in Arkansas, which is a, uh, it's an event anytime it happens. Um, there's usually a rush on bread and milk for a dusting. And as the expected amount goes up, so does the depravity in the aisles of the stores. So, you know, during the winter, the wise amongst us just like to kind of stay ahead and stocked up. And if there's even a hint of snow in the forecast, we go ahead and get our Walmart orders in or wherever you buy your overpriced groceries these days. Um, and that's not to say that we need them. I'm, I'm like, I'm telling you, I don't know. I don't need it. It's going to be off the roads by noon, but nobody else seems to know that. So if you want to make sure and have milk, because, you know, I go through a lot of milk around here. I think most of us do. You're going to have to fight for it. So I like to do it ahead of time. Anyway, our snow was quite pretty for the four hours that it lasted. I will say this. People really don't know how to drive when it goes to snow. And that sounds like a very old man thing to say, doesn't it? But like I offer empirical evidence. I had to drive down Interstate 40 a solid hour and a half today for my route. And along that drive from here to Russellville, Arkansas, I counted no less than 13 accidents involving roughly 16 to 18 cars in total down that interstate that actually had fairly clear lanes. And I don't understand what happens there. I don't know how that, I, I don't understand it, but there were many accidents. There were few cops and a lot of wreckers. So I guess I came through after the carnage. The wind was the bad part. Man, my big delivery wagon, it was whipping me all over the road. Maybe that's it. Maybe they were all blown off the road. Anyway, around it, it has passed now, but it is brutally cold outside. But I am inside. I am warm. The week is over. And I am happy to be here with you guys, quite honestly. It's been a wild couple of weeks, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. I have wanderings and wonderings, as I always say, to share with you tonight, and some really, really good ones. Y'all, my yearly holiday, you know, Christmas slash Hanukkah slash Kwanzaa slash Thanksgiving slash Justin's birthday adventure trip went off, and this year it was nothing short of epic, so much so that it is going to be two really meaty episodes. I could probably get it into three, 
but then they would be three thin episodes. And I feel like I would be cheating you guys if I did that. So we're going to do two really good solid ones, and we're going to start tonight. But first, brief housekeeping. Please like and subscribe and share. And please definitely rate and review. We need those ratings and those reviews. And also, finally, one last little thing here. You guys, make sure... And go over, if you haven't, and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Or if you listen every week but you don't actually subscribe to the channel, please subscribe. I am three subscribers short. Three. Of 1,000. At which point, I can actually monetize these stupid ads that some of you have to watch that I don't get paid for because YouTube is like screw YouTube and Google. But anyway, they're getting paid off of my hard labor, but they don't give me any of it because apparently I'm not good enough for that until I have 1,000 subscribers where I'm only three short, finally, after all this time. So if you don't subscribe, please go over and subscribe and help a brother out because it would be nice to defray some of the cost of making this podcast because I assure you it is not cheap and I don't make any money for it yet. But if you guys keep liking, subscribing, and sharing... Well, maybe I will someday. Anyway, let's get on with tonight's show. So, where did I go? Where'd you go, Justin? Where'd you take off to? Well, we took off to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and went on a five-day adventure. Five days. I think we were on five full days. There was like a sixth day that was all driving. Um, But we were on five full days, and man... You want to talk about exhausted, but some awesome adventures. And it's a good mix, too. We got a good mix, as you're going to find out. So if you don't like what I'm talking about at any given point in this episode, just hang on because we're going to get to something else. Because we've got a lot of road trip in here, but we also have a lot of adventures in here. And amongst the adventures, it's even further divided from, like, kind of more maybe what you might call touristy stuff of hitting some of the national parks to some more backcountry stuff and some more exploring. And that's like the part that really excites me the most. But we got a little bit of everything in here. And like I said, we're brought to you by New Mexico's Chili Cartel, which from here on out, I will probably refer to only as Big Chili. But they play a very heavy hand in New Mexican politics, and every restaurant that you will go to. So we'll get to that later. But let's get into the show. So what was the plan? Let me give you an overview of what the plan was from the jump. And the idea was to basically find somewhere in New Mexico that was pretty central, where I could branch out and we could really hit several different places. Albuquerque turned out to be a pretty good place. It's a nice, easy drive down 40. It's like 11 hours straight down 40. No big deal. And from there, you're very central to several national parks and monuments, like a bunch, like six or seven, or maybe a little bit more than that, um, within two to three hours in any direction. And one of them's literally inside of Albuquerque city limits, by God. And then also some backcountry stuff. And if you're in Albuquerque, if you're anywhere in New Mexico and you're in a big city, like you don't have to drive maybe 20 minutes out of the city limits and suddenly you're in the middle of nowhere surrounded by volcanoes or something like it's a pretty great place. So the plan was exactly that hit Albuquerque base camp and then just take off in every direction. And it ended up actually almost becoming stressful trying to fit in all the stuff I wanted to fit in. And finally, at a point, I was like, okay, we're just going to have to call it a little bit and say we're only going to make so much stuff and we are going to have to come back for another trip at some point because we're not getting it all in. There was literally way too much to do and we were there for four full 
solid days plus like a half a day. I would have to do the math. Anyway, I have broken these two episodes up into basically days one, two, and three will be tonight's episode, and I'm going to go through it chronologically, because I could have broken it up by themes, like national parks versus backcountry versus Route 66 stuff. That got too complicated, and it would have been too convoluted, and you guys would have been confused trying to listen to it, so I just decided to go step-by-step, chronologically, days one through three make the most sense for this episode, and then in the next episodes, we will hit days four and five, and really six, but you're only going to hear me talk about, you know, how much fun it is to drive for 11 straight hours, but there was a purpose by choosing an 11-hour drive on that last day, and it granted us basically a whole extra day in New um, New Mexico. Anyway, that's for the next episode. So let's just get on with it. Let's start with it. Um, Day one is short. We'll be over that in about 10 seconds. It started on Christmas Day at about 5 o'clock that evening, and we drove to Elk City, Oklahoma. That's as far as we were going to make it before there was really nowhere else to stop until Amarillo, and that was going to put us there at like 2 in the morning. And I didn't really want to do that. That was just a little bit too much. So we drove to Elk City that night. Um, Nice, easy drive. And it's that open road, man, thing. We talk about that, how much I love the open road, and I really love it at night. I really love driving down the interstate at night. Especially you get out in western Oklahoma, and from there on out, there's like no one else on the road. You kind of have it all to yourself. And you can do something awesome like turn on some old school radio that you might like to listen to or a podcast, maybe wayward stories as a matter of fact but i turned on some art bell some old school coast to coast am and there's like nothing better especially when you're driving through the desert because he broadcast from the kingdom of nye out there in the arizona desert and there's just something really special about coast to coast am and of course i like the woo and it's all out there it's ufos and aliens and it's bigfoot and ghosts and all the different weird things but i like all that stuff i find it fascinating it's fun to listen to and art bell had a great radio voice. You guys have never checked out Coast to Coast AM, you need to. It's great for road trips. And there's a few podcasts out there that have taken some of his archived shows and start dropping them into podcast feeds. And for that, I will forever be grateful because now I can just access it anytime I want. But anyway, we took a drive to Elk City and stayed the night out there. Got up on day two and day two had a very kind of specific itinerary. We kind of hem-hawed around about how we could do it I definitely wanted to hit Route 66 as much as I could because, you know, once you're on Interstate 40, say, at Oklahoma City onward, you're basically mirroring Route 66, okay, almost all the way to Los Angeles, right? I mean, of course, Interstate 40 stops, I think, around Bakersfield or maybe it's Barstow. I think it's Barstow nowadays. But anyway, and we thought about doing that, but then it was kind of like, well, we really want to make it up to Santa Fe at some point in this trip. And when we start trying to figure out all the logistics of these days and where things are placed, you know, and you have to remember too, and this is something to keep in mind when you're on a road trip in the middle of winter, literally at this winter solstice, it's the shortest days of the year. You got till five o'clock and sunlight's gone. No more sun. So we had short days to work with and anywhere branched out, like we talked about Chaco Canyon, Canyon de Chez, three hours drive to the north and west. Talked about going up Santa Fe and all those places, one to two hour drive, Bandelier, National Monuments, two hour drive north of Albuquerque. Um, 
south of town, two to three hours, there was some awesome stuff. So you're like two or three hours out in any given direction, right? Well, that's also two or three hours drive back, which is fine. You can do that after dark. No big deal. But that only gives you so much time every day to actually explore. And as we kind of shimmied around all these different plans, like, well, if we do this, then we can do these things on this day, da, da, da. It kind of became apparent. It's like, you know what? If we can get on the road early on day two to make that last seven or eight hours to Albuquerque, what if we try to hit Santa Fe that afternoon? Instead of spending a lot of time dinking and dunking our way down what we can find of Interstate 40 in that part of um, New Mexico, maybe we save the bigger portion of really exploring 66 at that point, not 40, 66, um, for like another time, and we kind of just hit the high points as we go down 40-66 and try to get up to Santa Fe. So that we can see the plaza, you know, that was the main thing. We just really kind of wanted to go see the plaza. It's a historic place. A lot of people had told both of us, you need to go there. So I was like, what if we do that? Let's get on the road early. Let's get across the state line, get across Texas panhandle and into New Mexico. And then let's take it up to Santa Fe and let's get into town with some daylight and kind of just check out the plaza. Because that's all either one of us really wanted to see in Santa Fe. So that's exactly what we did. And I will give you just a brief aside here about 66 in western Oklahoma and the Texas Panhandle. Um, And then we'll do just, I'm going to touch on the places we did check out inside of New Mexico. But western Oklahoma, Oklahoma City to basically the New Mexico state line looks really fascinating from what I can see. I have some really good stuff that came from the state of Oklahoma tourism department on route 66. There's actually a lot out there in Western Oklahoma. It may be flat, dusty plains, but there's actually a lot going on as far as the history is concerned. A lot of the buildings that are left and museums like that are out there in Western Oklahoma. I believe actually Elk City has the national Route 66 Museum. I'm almost positive it's the National Route 66 Museum. Um, If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Don't email me. Don't care. I'll figure it out later. Um, But it looks like it's very interesting, but it's so complicated. I went through the maps last night because I kind of want to do like a little brief overview, and I was like, scrapped it. I was like, no, I'm not doing a brief overview. It's like, this road is now this road, which used to be that road. But here you have to jump over three culverts and and slap a bear on the butt and do this and this to find yourself back on 66. It's one of those things that it's going to be a project to figure out exactly how to drive 66 in western Oklahoma. So high points are there's some really great museums around about Elk City and any of the little towns along the way, just like anywhere else on Route 66 you're going to find some really great historic buildings. So you guys have a heyday. You have at it. I will do that someday in the future. It wasn't happening on this trip because we had other fish that we really wanted to fry on this trip. It was one of those things that'd be like, it'd be great if we can do that, but it's like not what the trip's about. So we kind of set it aside a little bit. Um, Now, once we got to New Mexico, we did want to hit some of the places and kind of the first thing out of the box. Oh, you know what? One more note. Amarillo. 66 just follows 40 straight through Texas, pretty much. I mean, it's like right next to you, like a service road. And you will see Cadillac Ranch out there. You know, the famous Cadillac Ranch on 66 with the Cadillac sticking out of the ground or whatever. I'm just going to be honest with you guys. We talked about Cadillac Ranch recently. 
Um, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I don't see the draw at this point. We drove by on 40 and looked over and there were dozens upon dozens of cars. People were like a-holes to elbows. They were everywhere crawling all over those things. You can't even really get an unobscured picture of them. You could go get your selfie with them, but like there's people everywhere. And this was pretty damn early in the morning, the day after Christmas. And that place was swarmed like the modern, like vacation culture. You know, we didn't have vacation culture until 1950s America. Um, We're not like you Brits who always had holidays. We don't we have never gone on a holiday until after World War II, and then we had all the world's money, so we went on a lot of holidays. Well, there's been a resurgence since COVID, and now the world is overrun with tourists, as a lot of people like to call them Turons. Um, yeah, tourist morons, the Turons. Anyway, I was one of those this last week in some places. It was absolutely overrun, and it's really, honestly... God, I'm going to be crucified for this by a lot of people. It's freaking hideous. Like, they're all spray-painted and tagged, and, like, they're standing out there in this field that's nothing but a mud bowl that looks like Woodstock um, in 69. It's so filthy-looking. There's trash everywhere, and it's like, I know they're iconic, but, like, I just don't see the draw at this point. Anyway, that's just Justin being honest. I told you guys, you're about to start getting honest, Justin. Well, you are getting honest, Justin, now. So I'm going to say some things, probably in these next two episodes, too. People might be like, oh, my God, I can't believe you said that. Well, I said it. I said what I said. I stand by it. Um. Anyway, into New Mexico, you do have Tucumcari, which is like one of my favorite little towns in New Mexico. And we did swing through and we cruised 66 right through Tucumcari. We did not stop to do anything. It's early, kind of morning time. And again, on our way to Santa Fe. But things that you can check out in Tucumcari, I'll give you a real quick rundown. Like I pulled this one card that it would be a cool place to go and stay for a day or so. But they do have the Tucumcari Historical Museum collections located on three floors of a 1903 schoolhouse. The New Mexico Route 66 Museum, which if you're out there to cruise 66, that would be awesome to check out. The Mesa Lands Dinosaur Museum, which I really, really want to check out. Dinosaurs are becoming more and more fascinating to me, as is geology. And I never thought that would be the case. Um, But yeah, man, with archaeology, it goes hand in hand with geology. And then you have to have a geology class. And then you're like, holy crap. It's really fascinating. Earth building is a fascinating process. But anyway, Mesa Lands Dinosaur Museum. And then also the Tucumcari Railroad Museum, which for me would be great because, again, I'm a railroad nerd. Also, you have the Blue Swallow Motel. I was about to say it may be a auto court, but it's the Blue Swallow Motel. It has been out there since 1939, and apparently it's to this day renovated and a wonderful place, and they have some great neon. It's great for photography. I really want to stay there. I wanted to stay there on this trip at some point. But the way travel days worked out, it just didn't work out. And that just is what it is. Um, but anyway, Tucumcari has got some great Route 66 stuff. And then also, kind of your next big stop down the line, um, if you're going to be doing 66 through New Mexico, is a Santa Rosa, which we did 
pop through so that we could see the blue hole. See, a lot of this is new stuff to Jess, okay, like out there. Um, now, I've seen some of these things when I drove out to Cali for the first couple of times back five years ago. Now, it's been five years, y'all, which is blowing my mind. But um, we went to them so that she could see them. So we popped into the blue hole um, in Santa Rosa and went to the blue hole, which you go down 66 through Santa Rosa. They've got some great buildings to check out in Santa Rosa for um, old 66. But we went to the blue hole. And you know what's funny? It's the same month. Well, almost. We were still in December at the time. But when I drove out there last time, no, it was because I drove out on Christmas. I remember saying, it's like, oh my God, it's five years literally to the day. Anyway, we stomped a blue hole, and much like it was exactly five years ago, there were people there taking a polar bear plunge. Blue hole, if any of you are unaware, it is a spring in the middle of the desert in Santa Rosa, New Mexico. Um, And as you can imagine, it would have a lot of history around it. A lot of peoples would have been drawn to an oasis of this kind. Things somewhere over 80 feet deep, straight down. Blue, blue, blue water. There is a cave system underneath where the spring comes in and feeds it. Scuba divers love it, apparently. Um, And it is, you can swim in it. They actually have diving platforms that you can jump off of into the water. And there are people there taking their polar bear plunge on December 25th. And I assure you, the upper plains and the high desert are freaking cold in the winter. Um, You may think in your mind, the desert, well, of course, it's warm out there. No, 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 no. No, it's not. It's very, very cold. So anyway, Tucumcari to Santa Rosa. And from Santa Rosa, you head on to Klein's Corner. Klein's Corner is a really cool place. Um, They've got a really neat little, um, well, a convenience store, a rest stop that has been there since I want to say it's 39. I don't have it written down in front of me, but it's there from the original Route 66 days. And it was called Clyde's Corner. You can go in there today. You can get some great T-shirts and some great tchotchkes or whatever. Um, But from there, you're heading north to Santa Fe. That's what we did. And apparently that was one of the older alignments of 66. Went up to Santa Fe and then came back down to, you know, well, kind of Albuquerque way, but further south down along the I-40 corridor where original 66 basically followed. Um, I forget which parallel it is. It's the 35th or the 34th parallel. Anyway, it was plotted that way long before it was 66 or anything else. Back when it was Marcy's Road and Beale's Road and all of those early, early trailblazers who set out to make roads that would take us all the way to the West Coast. Um, But yeah, original 66 went right up through this area, all the way up to Santa Fe before it looped back down. So when you head up to Santa Fe, you're still following some of original, older alignments of Route 66. You also happen to be, once you get to Santa Fe, following the Santa Fe Trail. Now, the old Santa Fe Trail is just one of the very, very early roads. I'm going to stay kind of high level on some of that stuff. You guys know I'm a history nerd, but I know not all of you are. Some of you are here for the travel. Some of you are here for the adventure. Not many of you are here for the history, so I'm going to kind of hit the high notes. But the Elder Santa Fe Trail is one of the very, very early trails out west that became kind of an economic corridor and took a many a person to the west for trade and otherwise. There are historic segments of the trail that can be seen in northern New Mexico, but when you're coming into the southern side of Santa Fe, you are following portions of the historic Santa Fe Trail, which dates back to post-1821-ish, but it's in that 
very, very general bar ballpark. So we're talking 200 years old. Pretty interesting stuff. Now, Santa Fe. Hmm. This is one of those things where I'm going to say things that some people be like, I can't believe he said that because, um, well, I mean, gosh, I'm making a podcast about travel. I'm supposed to be an influencer, right? I'm supposed to say nothing but fruity, flowery things filled with glitter about everywhere I go. Santa Fe is beautiful. Okay. It is. Santa Fe is a fascinating place. It has a crap ton of history and you know me, I love history. However, we found Santa Fe, the plaza at least, and I'm sure the rest of the city is the same, but the plaza where I went and was hoping to find a lot of history. Well, there is a lot of history there. However, it has been co-opted into a very, very bougie culture. And I don't know how else to say it, but I will say this. I was at the very lowest social stratigraphy of the people there. Um, Y'all, it's different kind of humans. It's humans that we don't run into in everyday life. I don't know where they work. I don't know what they do. They're surely CEOs and stuff like that. I don't know. Maybe they're, they're family money. But there are people with haircuts and clothes that you, you see in movies. And, and you think, does anyone really dress that way? Y'all, it turns out they do. And they're all in Santa Fe in the plaza on a really cold day with the roads all iced over. Matter of fact. Um, but yeah, I hesitate to talk too poorly, but I mean, I'm talking like you're walking through there and, and you know, they're like, Oh, Muffy, look, they let the proletariat out. <laughs> they're amongst us. It's what it kind of feels like. You're like, Oh my God, I don't belong here. So anyway, it's a very, very yuppie place. It is an extremely yuppie place I found. And of course we didn't have the, um, say the privilege of seeing all of the native artisans out there on the square. Cause it was like 12 degrees or whatever it was 30. It was freezing and there was a wind. It's freaking Christmas time, right? It's middle of winter, but oh my gosh, it's next level. It is so extra. Everything there was extra. It was extra, extra like read all about it. It was, it was weird. It felt weird. I didn't feel like I belonged there, but I will say this, there is some really cool historic buildings, and we did check out one in particular, which is the Cathedral Basilica of St. Francis of Assisi, which I'm probably pronouncing wrong, but again, yeah, it doesn't matter. Anyway, I do want to tell you about it, though, just a little bit, because you need to check it out if you go, because you will be fascinated by this place. It is obviously a Catholic church, um, but it was established in 1610, y'all, 1610, you heard that correctly, Sixteen. 10, 400, over 400 years ago. Um, the modern cathedral was dedicated in 1886 because there was like a whole Pueblo revolt in there because, you know, the Spanish were kind of subjugating and force Christianizing, you know, the native people. And they finally said no more. See you later. And there was a revolt and they drove the Franciscan friars out of town, you know, blah, blah, blah history of America, right? You're going to do it our way or we're going to kill you. And then the people said, well, we're going to fight back. And then things happened. Things happened. Um, and so the church was burned down a few times, but there are certain portions that are pretty original from my understanding. But let's see here. The new, the new cathedral of stone, not Adobe in the French Romanesque style was built or the cornerstone was laid in 1869 um, the new, though unfinished, cathedral church was 
blessed in 1886, and by 1895, it was finally consecrated. Um, Our Lady's Chapel on the north side of the church was part of the 1714 mission-style adobe church. So, guys, this thing goes back hundreds of years. I mean, it's pretty fascinating. And I will tell you this. There is this little chapel area that is off of the side of the main sanctuary. It's called the Our Lady of Peace Chapel. And I tell you about this because... It is built to honor the Blessed Virgin Mary, as the Catholics believe in her, and it has a statue in the center that was made in Spain in the early 1400s. Yes, you heard that correctly, over 600 years ago. And it was brought to Santa Fe in 1625 by a Franciscan priest, and it is the oldest statue of Mary in the United States. Now, I'm not a Catholic, okay? My beliefs are my own, and they're none of your business, but... I do really like the history of all belief systems. And I think there's a little bit of whatever made all of us in every belief system. So you know what? I give it some credence. But this right here is just straight history. This is cool as heck. This is a 600-year-old statue in this 400-year-old church out there in Santa Fe. And there's so much history that goes with it. And the docents there were amazing. Like I talked with at least one of them. She gave me a really good rundown of the entire Um, church. And it turns out because in, in the older mission style of these kinds of churches, they buried their parishioners like in the courtyard. Well, this thing's undergone several different kinds of renovations of sorts, right? I mean, it's had to be rebuilt because of a revolt and et cetera, et cetera. So it turns out with the help of National Geographic, they did some magnetometry, magnetometry in recent years when they were working on the baptismal font in the center of the cathedral and come to find out their bodies all underneath that church. That's built on top of the old cemetery, essentially. Freaking fascinating, y'all. And, I mean, like, really fascinating. All the way out into the courtyard. So there is a lot of history left in Santa Fe, but you got to look for it. This is what we learned. You have to look for the history, and you have to go seek it out. Because it's been overtaken by yuppies and commercialism. Which is, you're going to find basically anywhere that tourists can drive to, especially during ski season in northern New Mexico, I guess. Um, And you know what? That's what it was. When I say these people were dressed like something you would see in the movies, these guys were dressed, and women, were dressed like Harry and Lloyd from Dumb and Dumber. No joke. No joke. I saw outfits that looked like that. I don't know if I've ever seen more people so full of themselves in one little space. It was fascinating. It's fascinating. It'd be a great place to do a sociological study. Anyway, this was our experience. We weren't really wanting to hang around that much, actually. Like it turned, you know, it was just not my kind of place so much. But the history was awesome. Anyway, from there, to finish out this day, we got to Santa Fe. And we had to head back down to Albuquerque to go to where we were staying for the night. And to do that, we took a little scenic byway called the Turquoise Trail. And guys, you need to drive the Turquoise Trail. If you find yourself anywhere near Santa Fe or Albuquerque, you need to take the time to drive the Turquoise Trail. And what it is, it's just a little highway that runs from Santa Fe all the way down to just on the outskirts on the eastern side of Albuquerque. And it goes through several very, very historic towns, mining towns. Um, And just, guys, these mountains are absolutely gorgeous that you drive through. 
as we headed down from Santa Fe, we were getting on towards um, sunset, which was awesome because you got golden hour at like five, 6,000 feet of altitude, right? Which is already kind of golden hour-ish as it stands. Um, anytime you're at that altitude. Um, but we're going down at golden hour. So we've got these mountains all around us. To our left, you have the, which would be the east as you're coming south towards Albuquerque. You have the Ortiz Mountains and the San Pedro Mountains. And to your west, you're going to have the Sandia Mountains. Um, and you drive through several little small towns. You drive by Cerrillos Hills State Park, the town of Cerrillos, Madrid, and Golden. And then also there is a spur that runs up to Sandia Crest, which is a prominent point which you can go up to overlook the valley, Albuquerque and all the valleys all around you at approximately 10,678 feet of elevation. Lots of that road was actually closed due to snow when we went through there. But what I can tell you about this drive is these little communities are awesome. Cerrillos Hills State Park actually has many pre-1900 mining operations around it, kind of like our rush um, up on the Buffalo River here in Arkansas. We had zinc mines. They had several different kinds of mines. But like us here, their mines are unfortunately gated off. But there's lots of leftover infrastructure. So if you're into like the Rurex, the abandoned stuff, finding the old history, Cerrillos Hills State Park's super cool. And all these little towns going down have some really historic buildings in them. Really neat stuff to check out. But I will tell you this. They have been kind of taken over by artists and communities. And this this is actually kind of cool. Like, you might dig this. You get a lot of hippies out there doing a lot of artisanal stuff. And that's super cool. But it does kind of draw down that yuppie culture from Santa Fe, apparently. That's kicking it up in Santa Fe. So, just understand there's a lot of touristiness to this little stretch. There is the San Francisco de Assis Church. Um, and it is incredibly picturesque. Yes, it's basically the same name as what you heard Santa Fe, but this is a different church and it was established in the 1830s. And it is there for you to photograph in all its glory, surrounded by these gorgeous mountains. And it is incredibly, incredibly picturesque. The aesthetic is quite beautiful. And it has some really interesting little headstones that are right there in the church courtyard. Again, these mission style um, churches back in those days, they buried their parishioners there in the courtyard. And so like, y'all, it's, it's a photographer's dream come true. So you should check out St. San Francisco de Assis Church um, in Golden, New Mexico on the Turquoise Trail. It's just a beautiful drive, guys. Go over to my Instagram, waywardson119. And watch some of the videos because I actually have a video of what it was like heading down the turquoise trail and you'll get an idea of some of the views. It's absolutely gorgeous. But with that, it brought us back into Albuquerque for the evening and it was time to shut it down. Oh, wait, I almost forgot. I had to eat dinner too, right? We got back into town. We got our place to stay. We got everything lined out, got checked in. And then we went and we had dinner. And we went to a place called Sadie's. Sadie's was a place that um, one of my good, good associates on my route at work, who I run into once a week whenever I service their particular establishment, he told me when he heard we were going to Albuquerque, he said, you have to go to, he's like, oh my God, I'm so jealous. And this is how he put it. I'm so jealous. He's like, you get to go to Sadie's. And I was like, I'm going to Albuquerque to explore national monuments. And what he just said to me is you get to go to Sadie's. And I was like, well, what good sub, pray tell, is Sadie's. And apparently Sadie's is, you know, a restaurant that you have to eat at. 
And, you know, a lot of people tell you things like that, but Jessica also heard the same thing um, from people go to Sadie's. So we went to Sadie's and listen, you guys, you should go to Sadie's, but I'm going to warn you about something. Okay. First and foremost, we're getting back to big chili here in the New Mexican chili cartel. Things you need to know about New Mexico. Chili comes on everything, period. You don't get a choice. Okay. Some of the places, I think if they're like being kinder, they'll let you put it on the side, but you get chili. Chili's coming. You're going to have chilies. It's like their chief export in New Mexico. It's like their biggest gross domestic product. And they're about it. And they will ask you no matter where you go and what you get, you can say anything you want. And they're going to ask you at the end of that order, red or green. And that means, do you want red chilies or do you want green chilies? And the only proper answer is which one is hotter today? Because that actually changes from establishment to establishment and place to place. And only the guys that are cooking that stuff no, for that particular day, which one's hotter. So if you like really hot, you're going to want to know the answer to that. But if you're like the rest of us sissy weasels, you're going to want to know which one is not as hot because the one that is not as hot is still like a freaking volcano in your mouth. Okay. And that's, I mean, that's just my experience. But anyway, it went down like this. They brought us out hot sauce. And of course, cause you know, you're eating at a well, this is an authentic Tex-Mex restaurant. And make no mistake, there is a difference between authentic Tex-Mex and authentic Mexican and the Tex-Mex crap that you eat everywhere else in Texas and Oklahoma and everywhere else. Authentic is a whole different beast, and it's actually really good. So, yes, I said what I said. Anyway, they bring out the chips and salsa, right? And I'm starving. We are starving. We've been driving all damn day. We've explored the entire eastern half of New Mexico right? Via Route 66 slash 40 up into Santa Fe. It was a long day. So I got a chip. But you know how when you usually bite into something hot, okay, you get a few seconds. Sometimes you'll bite into it and you're like, oh, that's a really good flavor. And then four or five seconds later, it starts to grow. The heat starts to grow and you start going, oh, this is going to be hot. The way this happened is I put the chip with the dip into my mouth and immediately and I mean, without hesitation, immediately looked at Jessica and I said, oh, no. And I meant every word of oh, no, because my face was already on fire. All I'm going to say is this about food in New Mexico. It is wonderful. It is so good. I mean, it is so, so good. It's real food. It's real ingredients. Like, y'all, there's a whole difference. I don't know any of you guys have ever actually got to leave your little part of the world and had real food somewhere where they cook food that's fresh out of fields and from farms and farmers without processing and chemicals and GMO stuff. It's a whole different world, and it's wonderful. Their food is wonderful, but it is hot, and it only comes in two varieties, red or green. I swear to God, you could go into a TCBY and say, yo, I want some yogurt. And they're going to say red or green. I'm being facetious, but maybe I'm not. I don't know. I didn't go to get yogurt. But they put chili on everything and it's hot. So just prepare yourself for that. I will say this, though. Your sinuses and your colon will both drain rapidly. And... It's actually kind of nice in that sense. It's really, really good. Just prepare yourselves, red or green. Or you can have Christmas. You can have them both together. Never went that route. I always just went with the um, the mildest for the day and if they would put it on the side. And even then I was worried. 
that they were going to get upset because I was, I was defying big chili, the big chili interest, but it's good, good, good food. But anyway, that gets us through our trip to Albuquerque. And after the break, we're going to get into day three, which has got plenty to talk about. We've got three national monuments and a backcountry adventure to talk about. So we're going to have a lot of fun in the second half. I'll see you guys on the other side of the break. What is up, all of you wayward souls? I want to tell you guys about our newest sponsor, Bendetti Optics, a brand based right here in the good old U.S. of A., Portland, Oregon, to be exact. And I bought my first pair of Bendetti sunglasses about a year and a half ago and fell in love with them so much so that I got online and ordered a couple of more pair. And when I did, there was a small shipping snafu, an order fulfillment snafu, and I got on the phone, gave them a call, and guess what? I get a call back from who? One of the big men themselves right there in Portland, from the top of the chain have a great conversation and we end up starting this great relationship we have they more than made right the little snafu that occurred and i am now a huge proponent of them because i can tell you from personal experience they are good people and they're trying to compete with the big boys out there coming in at a price point of about 40 dollars, but using the exact same frame material tr90 and the same polarization process as the big guys as it turns out something i think we are already probably knew in our hearts when you buy big name sunglasses, you're buying a big name, not necessarily any more quality than you can get somewhere else, like at Bendetti Optics. They have 29 different styles. They have multiple polarization options for whatever climate you happen to live in. And they back it up with like this lifetime guarantee that if your dog eats your sunglasses, it doesn't matter how you break them. Send it back in with a check to cover shipping and handling and you're golden. You got a new pair on the way. These guys are truly trying to do it right, and they have this philosophy that a really good pair of sunglasses should not cost you so much that you are afraid to wear them. And I think all of us outdoorsmen can relate to that. So if you guys, like me, are very practical and like to get more bang for your buck and wear some great-looking sunglasses, check out BendettiOptics.com. That's B-E-N-D-E-T-T-I, Optics.com. Or you can go over to Instagram slash BendettiOptics. And that I highly suggest, whether you buy a pair or not, just to check out the cutest pupper you will ever see modeling sunglasses. Once again, that's BendettiOptics.com. And make sure and let them know Wayward Stories sent you. And welcome back. Thank you guys for sticking around through our sponsor break. So let's get into technically day three of our adventure, but really it's kind of like day two of exciting stuff. We can't really count the nighttime drive to Elk City unless you like to look at all the red flashy lights across the prairie of all the uh, big wind turbines and that giant massive wind farm that basically stretches from... I don't know, west of Oklahoma City all the way into New Mexico and really God knows how far. I remember seeing those wind farms up on hills in Southern California years ago. Anyway, let's get on to today's adventures because there's a lot to talk about here in the second half of the episode. First thing I want to tell you is, I'm not going to say where we stayed, but it was a nice little place. I will say that it was a nice little place. And also, you guys look into rewards programs. We basically stayed at a really nice place to stay. Um... For 60 bucks a night for the whole week. Like, that's like old Motel 6 rates. You know, it's old crack hotel rates, but it wasn't a crack hotel and it wasn't Motel 6. And no offense, Motel 6, if you would like to sponsor me, feel free because I am still a very big fan of yours. It's a cheap way to travel. And most of your places are not crack hotels, though you have to be careful. 
You got to read those Google reviews. Some of them totally are. But anyway, that was a tangent and I digress. We stayed in a very decent place to stay. It was not a bad place by any means. And I will say that we were on the west side of the interstate that bisects Albuquerque from north to south. And I don't know what that matters. I don't know what that amounts to. I don't know what the bad part of town is. But we did have people warn us before we went. They said, yo, Albuquerque's dangerous. And I was like, I personally, I will own up to this. I was like, oh, come on. I've lived in basically every major city on this freaking continent for months at a time for FedEx, for Big Purple, right? And they all have dangerous spots. And then all of them don't have dangerous spots. I mean, short of like Pine Bluff, Arkansas, North Little Rock, West Memphis, like, they're, you know, it, anyway, woke up that morning, went out to our car and thank God it wasn't us, but only two spaces down were some fine folks from Texas who had every window knocked out of the back end of their car and all their stuff was gone. And it was a very sad day for them. <sighs> Y'all really, it was two spaces from my car. It was two spaces from Clemmy and why they chose Texas over Clemmy, I don't know. It's probably because they were Texas plates, if we're being honest. But thank God for me, and I feel bad for them. That's terrible. So be warned. You might want to park. Like we parked every night after that, all the way up at the very front of this hotel in the brightest lights, right by the front doors underneath the cameras. Um, so apparently, you know, we, we saw some things in Albuquerque is all I'm going to say. So if you go stay in Albuquerque, choose wisely, read reviews, and, you know, do the normal, logical, critical thinking things, the rational things you should do to kind of protect your stuff. That's all I'm saying. Um, but we woke up on that day ready to go rock and roll. And after feeling very sad for those people for a minute, we headed over to Petroglyph National Monument, which actually resides in the city limits of Albuquerque, which is really, really fascinating because in a way it shows you a lot of things. And I'm going to do high level stuff with all of this history stuff. Cause again, I know I don't want to take you guys to, to La La Land. I don't want to put you to sleep. Um, but I will give you kind of the high points and give you some of my, you know, what I care about here from the, uh, anthropological standpoint, from the historical standpoint. But what's really interesting is this is kind of demonstrates how, well, for example, you get urban sprawl overtaking really significant cultural sites. This happens all over the United States. Well, this is a really great example because you have something worthy of National Parks Administration status, of national monument of historic, intrinsic historic value that is literally in neighborhoods in a major city. No joke. Like if you're watching on YouTube, take a look at this map. Those bright green areas, those dark green areas, rather, that you're looking at literally course their way through neighborhoods of Albuquerque. Some of it is like, it's literally like some of these neighborhoods just stop and then it's wilderness area. That's how Albuquerque is, apparently. It doesn't like slowly taper off into, you know, like little rural sediments, set, settlements, and then it becomes, no, it's like city, freaking desert, bam, right down a divided line. So big parts of this are out in, say, the desert and the wilderness, but there are literally big chunks of this national monument that courts their way right through the neighborhoods of Albuquerque. And that's mind boggling. It's in three different spaces, actually. 
there are no petroglyphs at the actual visitor center of the National Monument. You have you don't have to, I guess. You could go to any of these without going to the visitor center, um, which you can do. But I do suggest going there and getting like this little pamphlet here, this little flyer leaflet. So it describes to you what the trails are like, where to find them, where the parking is, etc., etc. But you can go to any of the three of these and you have three to choose from. There's Boca Negra Canyon, which is very, very close um, to the park, if I remember, it's 2.6 miles north, and it's only an eight-minute drive from the information center. Um, you can within you can walk from five minutes to an hour, and you can see 100 plus different petroglyphs. Um, then you have Rinconada Canyon, which is a one and a half to two-hour hike. It's a little bit more strenuous. You can see 300 plus images, and it is 1.3 miles south, and only four minutes from the information center. But the one that we chose, because it fit what we were after the best, is about 15 minutes and six and a half miles north from the visitor center, roughly. And you can see over 400 images. It's an hour and a half hike, roughly. It's about a three-kilometer loop. And, y'all, it's got some great, great petroglyphs, like really good ones. Um really, really obvious ones that are really easy to see, very clear ones, some very complex ones. You get the anthropomorphs, you get the zoomorphs, you get um, the handprints, the footprints, you get some of the, some of the images that no one really knows what they mean. And they may have only meant something to the person, the artist who placed them there, but there's a lot and they're awesome to look at. There's a deep, deep connection to the history there. These were all made between 13 and 1600 current era so that's 400 to what 700 years ago and there are some outliers at the let me see i believe it was boca negra canyon there are some outliers that run about 3,000 years before present which puts them about a thousand bc that's insane guys these people who left these are the ancestral puebloans okay the people who are currently of Puebloan ancestry, this was their ancestors. These were some of the earliest people on this continent. They are believed to have been hunter-gatherers that started infiltrating, coming into this area um, of, of New Mexico and Arizona, the Four Corners region, almost 10,000 years ago. They're some of the very earliest folks that we know about for certain on this continent who became the ancestral Puebloans used to be known as Anasazi. If any of you are into history, you may have heard the term Anasazi. We don't really use that today because it's a Navajo word. Apparently the ancient Navajo and the ancient Pueblo might have been at odds, at least judging by that name. And like, let's just be honest here. Nobody wants to be known by a name that someone who doesn't like you gave you. How would you like it if everyone on this planet called you asshole? That would kind of stink, wouldn't it? I mean, somebody doesn't like you, calls you that. Maybe you're not actually an asshole, right? You might not be, but somebody chose to call you that. And now everyone calls you that. So anyway, it's not like a term we like to use these days. We like to go with ancestral Puebloans. And that is who these people are. And they were making some of these petroglyphs almost 3,000 years ago, right here. Inside of Albuquerque, you can see it. You're, we were 15 minutes from our hotel, 15 minutes. And this is a national monument. You can get your national parks passport stamp. You can see some absolutely fascinating, f 
fascinating petroglyphs. Y'all, the imagery is so striking on some of these. And if you pay close attention and use your little smarticle particles, you'll notice certain things. And you might even get a little fascinated. It might light a fire under your butt. You might even get a little interested in some culture, in some ancient culture. Because one of the things we noticed as I was standing on one of these ridgelines, we were looking at all of these different petroglyphs that were facing a particular way, a particular orientation. And and Jessica mentioned, she's like, they, they're kind of hard to see. They're because they're like more on this side of these rocks, like they're harder to see from down here where we are. And as I got to looking that over, I was like, you're absolutely right. They would be way easier to see from up there, which just so happened to be the rim of the canyon around a little bitty alcove. And you could tell by looking at it, if you were standing on top of the rim of that canyon, which is not very much higher, like, I mean, maybe 20 feet higher than where these petroglyphs were. But had you been standing there, they would have been facing you broadside and even lilted just a little bit facing up towards the rim of that canyon. And I was like, I would bet you dollars to donuts that those were carved to be viewed from that vantage point. I would bet you I could be wrong. I didn't look into it like you would have to get into some real scholarly papers about that particular canyon to see if anyone had mentioned that. And I didn't really have time for that. But I'm telling you, I would bet you dollars that they were meant to be viewed from that vantage point. And that probably means that vantage point had some kind of important significance, whether it be ceremonial, spiritual, otherwise, just guarantee you, I would guarantee you, but that's super fascinating. And that's, what's fun about it guys is it ignites your imagination. It gets you interested in things and it makes you think it really, really can expand your brain. And I'm just telling you guys, one of the most like valuable Things you can pursue in your life, in my humble wayward son opinion, is the expansion of your understanding in your mind. Guys, I cannot think of something better to pursue than growing yourself as a human. And these kinds of things will grow you as a human. They'll really make you think. It's fascinating stuff. But anyway, let's move on from Petroglyph National Monument. Quick hike, quick jaunt, right? Inside of Albuquerque, as a matter of fact, if you were to stay there, and something you guys should think about checking out. We absolutely loved it. Got that National Park stamp, bought some stickers. That's going to be a theme throughout this trip. I got more stickers than I know what to do with. I'm an unashamed sticker whore. I've got stickers on my water bottle, on my search and rescue notepad. I've got stickers on my car, on my ice chest. I got stickers everywhere. I've always loved stickers. Yeah, I'm that guy. But it is a theme of this trip. I spent probably more monies on on stickers than I did on food. But we headed out from Petroglyph National Monument. And this is where it gets a little more exciting for me. Because we went to get into, if you guys will remember back, do you remember the Exploring Central Colorado episode? That episode has a lot of fun stuff in it. Because I did a lot of exploring. I went looking for things. I went finding things. And this next portion of this day... We went exploring something that I had hunted down through loads of research on the old interwebs before making the trip that I really, really wanted to check out. And it is a place called the Gilman Tunnels. Now, the Gilman Tunnels are essentially an old railroad grade. They're on an old railroad grade for the Santa Fe and Northwestern Railway, which was built in the 1920s to access the timber up in the mountains above 
Canyon. And y'all, they went up and like all this actually touches back on our rails to trail up. So recently, remember that it kind of touches back on that because this is a old railroad that you can now drive on. It's been turned into a state. Well, it's a state road. What you've got is, let me see. I wrote it down. You take Highway 4 out of Albuquerque and you head up north in the mountains and you're going a little more northwest. You're not going towards Santa Fe. You're going to go a little more northwest and you take Highway 4. And this will take you to a place called Canyon. And at Canyon, you'll find the somewhere really close, the Walatawa Visitor Center, which is in modern day Hamesh Pueblo. Hamesh Pueblo is it's spelled J-E-M-E-Z. And it looks like Jemez, which is probably how it was pronounced by the Spaniards that came through at the time. But the peoples, which are a Pueblo people, they are actually the Hemesh or the Hemesh. And I'm not, or the the Hemesh or the Hamesh. And I'm going to say it Hamesh because that looks the most right. And it makes sense to me since they called it Jemez, the Spaniards, as they translated it, transliterated it. Um... So I'm going to go with Hamesh if I'm wrong. And any of you out there hear this, please forgive me. It may be Hamesh. But the Hamesh Pueblo and the Walatawa Visitor Center is essentially where you can check out a lot of wares of the artisans of the Hamesh Pueblo. And it's also roughly where you're going to find your way onto a state road that is 485. State Road 485 that actually also becomes Forest Road 376. They're the same road. But what they are is an old railroad grade that went up through the mountains, through, it's like the Rio Guadalupe is the river. And you're going to go through Guadalupe, uh, Guadalupe Box, which is the Guadalupe Box Canyon. And guys, I'm just going to tell you something. You're driving up amidst these giant red buttes and bluffs. There's red rocks everywhere. There are beautiful things to see everywhere you look, but suddenly you hit this point. And if you put it in Google, um, you will find the Gilman tunnels. You can look it up or you can go over back again to my Instagram. You guys all should check out my Instagram for this episode and our YouTube channel, which is YouTube forward slash, uh, wayward stories, youtube.com forward slash wayward stories, or also Instagram forward slash, um, Wayward Son 119, and you'll see videos of all of this. And you need to go look at this because you need to go there and see it for yourself. But what I'm here to tell you is you reach a point where you reach what is known as the Guadalupe box or Guadalupe box, which would be the more proper pronunciation. You suddenly find yourself looking, I would say, well over 100 feet straight up at straight up box canyon walls directly above you. And off to your right, I mean, immediately off to your right, thank God there is a guardrail, but just on the other side of it, I would say a well over a hundred foot to possibly 150 foot drop to the Rio Guadalupe, which is beautiful. And you're staring at a set of tunnels that were blasted through solid rock in the narrowest part of this canyon when there was no other place for them to build this railroad line to hang on the side of this man- mountain like a freaking mountain goat on the side of this canyon. They blew two holes through the side of this mountain and you can drive right through them. And it's awesome. And it is dramatic, dramatically beautiful, guys. You need to see it for yourself. Go check out my videos over on my socials or at YouTube. Um, or even just Google it and look for yourself. Guys, this is 
this is the kind of stuff I like to get into because this old road becomes like a backcountry byway up through the mountains. When it becomes Forest Road 376, you're driving this old railroad grade and it's the pavement has ended. It is dirt. You're up in these mountains. We didn't get to go all the way up because it was ice. The higher you get in altitude, suddenly we just hit where it was solid ice. The road was solidly iced and we could go no further. We started seeing canyon drop-offs with no guardrails. There's ice on the roads and we had to turn around and come back down. I really want to go back, guys, in like late summer, early fall and really explore explore the backcountry out there. It looks absolutely incredible. But we made it without much trouble all the way to the Gilman Tunnels. And you guys need to go look for yourself. It was so cool driving through these tunnels. They had these giant icicles hanging down, guys, inside one of the tunnels. Like if one fell on you, it would probably hurt real bad. If it might not kill you, if it caught you just right. These guys are 100-year-old tunnels that were created for a railroad line. And when you go there and see it for yourself, like, it's going to blow your mind how far down to the river it is. And that river is gorgeous. There were frozen waterfalls down in the river below us. It was awesome, guys. This, These are my kind of adventures. There's history involved. There's railroads involved. It's up in the mountains. There ain't, there ain't no yuppies up there. We weren't brushing elbows with yuppies in the mountains, baby. That was just beautiful, beautiful drive. And in that whole area, when you go back down to Kenyon and you go to the Wallatawa Visitor Center, which you need to check out, and this is something I want to touch on. Whenever you see like these visitor centers for the local peoples, when you get over into Arizona, you start running into the Navajo Rev- Reservation and you'll run into some of the Navajo trading posts. We're going to talk about some of those in the second part of this second episode coming in a couple of weeks. But like at Wallatawa, for example, you can get stuff that is made by current members of that indigenous tribe. Like if you'll look, if you're watching on YouTube, right back here behind me on the wall is a piece that I bought out there that according to them was crafted by their own artisans. And I want to encourage all of you to spend your money, not at commercialized places like in the plaza at Santa Fe buying bougie crap. You can go get at Macy's or Fifth Avenue or something. Go to the actual visitor centers and the stores that are operated by the indigenous peoples who have a claim to that land long before anyone else does and support them. That kind of stuff supports them. Look at this, for example, and this was, I was going to save this and talk about it in the next episode, but I'm going to go ahead and show you now. Do you see this little piece of pottery? It's really beautiful. Do you see these intricate lines in it? What that is, is horsehair pottery. You see that? That is created by in the process of creating this ceramic, they put horsehair in there and it creates these beautiful little lines everywhere. And then they somehow extract it at some point in the process. But this is handmade Navajo stuff right here. That thing behind me is handmade Hamesh Pueblo stuff. It's not old. It's not an artifact. It's not an antique. But what it is, is it is artisanal. It is handmade. And if you buy it, you're going to support the peoples who this is some of their only dang livelihoods. And if you don't believe me, just do a little research on people who have been pushed out to those reservations and how dire many of their circumstances are. And you're going to run across stuff that's really ugly too, like the occurrences of rape in indigenous populations and instances of kidnapping. It's a bad deal, guys. That 
level of the socioeconomic ladder that they found themselves in after the United States government screwed them out of everything they ever had, well, it still affects them to this day. And that's that's not PC culture talking. That's someone who studies this crap telling you it's true. So support them. Don't support the bougie shops in Santa Fe. Support the local indigenous artist. This stuff's beautiful and it's authentic. It's right from their hands. So anyway, Walatawa Visitor Center is in the modern day Hamish Pueblo. And those are the people you're supporting if you buy stuff there. And it gives you some great history about the area and it orients you to the area as well. There is a hiking trail called the Red Rock Hiking Trail right really across the valley. We didn't have time to do it because we were trying to get up to Bandelier National Monument that day and explore a few other things. And we almost went back to hike that. It's a red rock box canyon. It's like a mile and a half hike. It's not a, I think it rates as a moderate hike. All I can say is we're going back to the area. We had certain priorities and certain things and we had, we had to skip that one because of time constraints. The very next thing we did go to though that day was the Hamesh historic site. And what that is, is about 12, 15 minutes or miles north of the Walatawa Visitor Center. And this is like the historic Hamesh Pueblo. Modern Hamesh Pueblo is down there with the Visitor Center in that general area. The Hamesh historic site is where they were um, ancestrally. And it is and protects the village of Jisewa Tuwa. And anyway, they call it Jisewa for short. And it's a really fascinating place because it was a pueblo at the time. Um, well, a 14th century village of the ha- of the present day Hamas Pueblo, which is a sovereign nation of 3,400 members. Um, so 14th century is 1300s. And anyway, it was an early site of contact and colonization by the Spaniards in around 1598. So around 1600, the Spanish came to town and they did convert a large portion of the population. They built a church on site and there are people buried right there in that courtyard as well. But this is one of the best preserved Pueblo sites you can find. And it's right there on this highway four heading up through the valley. The river over in the other valley was Rio Guadalupe Guadalupe. I can't remember what river it is you're following up through this valley. But anyway, you're on Highway 4. You come to Hamish Historic Site. Go give them some of your money because they need it to help support that site and preserve this incredible site, which has Pueblo ruins from the time. Also, the ruins of the wall and some of the church there, which is fascinating. You're going to get a good history lesson in Spanish contact with the indigenous peoples of the Southwest. In this case, again, the Hamesh Pueblo people. Um, what's fascinating about this is they have a kiva there on site that you are allowed to climb down into. A kiva is an underground Pueblo. And what it was was basically their spiritual center before the Spanish showed up and Christianized them and built their church and converted a lot of them. And this is where they would have had spiritual ceremonies and fascinatingly enough, it is there. I believe it's been restored. I don't think it's original, original. The pit's original, but it's been, you know, the roof had to be restored. But you climb down a ladder into this kiva, and they allow you to do this into this ancient spiritual space for these people. 
And y'all, I'm just going to be honest with you. Like I've told you so many times over the last three years of making this podcast, I'm a spiritual dude. I'm an emotional dude. I wear my heart on my sleeve. I don't care what anyone thinks of me. I had a moment down in that Kiva. I really did. And I didn't have like a moment where I thought I found God or anything. I'm not saying that. But what I had was some kind of a moment that really touched me on a deep level. And it was a little bit spiritual, but I was just walking around in there. And of course, I have a very vivid imagination and I love history. So I'm imagining this place and what it meant to those people. Not what it means to me, but what it meant to them. And you go through this place and you can feel it. I mean, it's just like when I was in the church in Santa Fe. You can feel the reverence of so many people, of so many centuries in this place. You can feel kind of a weight of this um, space. You can feel what it's meant to a lot of people. It has a certain feeling of kind of awe to it. It is. It's a special place. It's a special place. And it's meant something to a lot of people. So name your place, name your religion. I don't really care. I can really appreciate the sacred spaces for those places. And I was down in there and it really was just a beautiful, beautiful thing to experience and see. And I even did. I said a little prayer before I left. Like I just basically of gratitude. I just said, Hey, whoever you are, thank you for sharing your space with me. Thank you for letting me share in your culture a little bit down here. I'm here only in curiosity and, you know, with the greatest respect. And it does. It was a little moment for me. It meant something to me. And That's something that travel will do for you guys and exploring will do for you. You'll learn things about other peoples and maybe, maybe make the world a little bit of a better place simply through understanding, simply through seeing the world through other people's eyes and maybe just coming to appreciate the value of other people's and their points of view. Maybe just a little bit. All I'm saying, all I'm saying, going to get off my soapbox, but it was a very special place. Hamish. Pueblo or Hamish historic site north of Hamish Pueblo and the Walatawa Visitor Center is something that I would like for all of you to check out if you're ever out there and get the chance. It's well worth your, I don't know, $12 or whatever it was to help support them in protecting that very historic site. And this day at this point was starting to get long, but we still had a lot to see. So we did head on up the mountain and up this highway four. And what we found as we moved north was... Well, first of all, there's a couple of little quick stop-offs you're going to want to check out. There's the Soda Dam, which this was this whole area. You got to understand, this whole area is volcanic. All New Mexico, there's like all kinds of volcanic activity, especially ancient volcanic activity, and a lot of now dormant volcanoes, not dead, mind you. That's important. Like, not dead, dormant. They, they could come back. Some of them might be a big deal. But anyway... There's a lot of hot springs in this area. Ooh, him as springs, him as hot springs. These are things you're going to run across as you go up this valley. And you can actually hike up to the him as hot springs. We weren't able to because the trail was frozen solid. But you can actually hike up the mountain to this spring that you can take a dip in with this overlook view of the freaking valley below you guys. Holy cow. Holy cow. Anyway, anyway, let me get back on track here. There is a place called Soda Dam, and what it is is a very interesting natural phenomenon where the the river, it may be the Jemez Springs, or I don't know, it may be Jemez River, but the river itself was blocked by the calcium growth out of this hot spring, and it basically crystallizing and solidifying, and it turned into what they call the, the Soda Dam. And then the river broke through the bottom, and now you got this really crazy waterfall underneath this even crazier, really white like stalactite 
type of formation out in the open air. It's like something you would see in a cave, but it's right out there in the open. And that is something that you can stop and take a quick peek and take some quick pictures of. And then also just from up from it, there's another pullout at a place called Battleship Rock. And all it is is a giant outcropping that very much has the profile of like the, I don't know, would that be the bow? I don't remember what the bow and the stern is. I'm not a sailor, but it looks like a ship. It looks like the, the, probably the bow of the, of a battleship and they call it battleship rock. And it makes for a very pretty picture. Again, you can see it over on Instagram. Go check out my page or you can go check out my Facebook. It's all over there as well. Um, from there, you go on up and this is an incredibly scenic drive. It's a beautiful drive up this highway for, which is one reason we wanted to do it was to help like to really get a view of everything up there because these mountains, you're like, it feels like you're in Colorado. Many of us here in the South have gone to Colorado. Well, this is a whole lot like portions of Colorado guys. It's absolutely beautiful. But one of the places we wanted to go as we headed up was Valles Caldera, which is the nation's newest national preserve. And it is a national preserve and not a national monument. Let me double check here. Yes. Anyway, Valles Caldera is 89,000 acres of a giant volcanic caldera, which is a dormant volcano. And if it ever popped again, holy crap, it'd blow the top off of New Mexico. It's a big one. It's kind of like, in a way, it's kind of like Yellowstone. You know how Yellowstone's a giant caldera? You know, all the geysers and stuff. If it blows up, the whole country's screwed, and it will someday again. Like, this is kind of like that. Um... But it's really gorgeous. It has these mountain meadows. It's got volcanic domes that are out there where basically it had started to regrow. You know, the stuff under the ground starts coming back out the top and starts swelling back up to where just like Mount St. Helens at one point blew the top off of it. Um, We didn't get to experience it, but we did get to take pictures of it from a distance. And right at the park sign, you can see the hugest portion of the caldera. And it's freaking vast. It is incredible. It's massive. It will blow your mind how big it is. And we didn't get to go down and see it because the whole caldera was filled with snow and ice and you couldn't get down the park road to get into the actual um, visitor center, which you maybe could have. But again, Bandelier was like one of our biggest things we wanted to get to on this day. And so this was like going to be one of those cruise buys. Let's go in and check it out if we can. When there's ice and snow on the road, it's like, okay, let's just take a picture and take it in from a distance because... Really, the one thing I think you're going to get up at that visitor center is a really deep geology lesson, which I would love to have gotten. Don't get me wrong. I'm getting super fascinated by geology these days, but I really feel like that's what you were going to get is a big time geology lesson and also a natural environment lesson, because apparently they have like some incredible. Well, let's see here. Patient observers can spot numerous wildlife species such as elk, coyotes, prairie dogs, black bears, bald and golden eagles. I would love to see a golden eagle. Holy cow. Wild turkeys and other migratory birds. History buffs can travel back in time and experience the pre-agricultural hunter-gatherer heritage and learn how the legacy of early Spanish and Mexican settlement in the region transformed the present-day American Southwest. Anyway, they have a lot going on there. But it wasn't going to work out for us that day. But all I'm saying is, I will check it out someday in the future. I think it'll be fascinating. But this thing was huge. This caldera is huge. Like, you're sitting here going, holy crap, a volcano can be this big. This is the collapsed, like, crater. Okay, and it's like 
square miles, guys. Not like square yards, square feet, square miles. It's massive. But anyway, we moved on from there, enjoying our beautiful drive. Like, it was such a gorgeous drive, guys. There's, like, snow all up in the evergreens and the pinyon pines. You're getting into pinyon pines. Pinyon pines were awesome. They were everywhere. It was a beautiful drive. The road even got a little bit sketchy. Oh, Clemmy, she held her own. That all-wheel drive Subie, baby. But it got sketchy up there in those mountains. But again, that's what I'm there for. That's what we were there for. We were there for the adventure. And it got a little bit adventurous. But we did make it in time before dark to check out Bandelier National Monument. And again, I'm just going to hit the high points here. Bandelier is another ancestral Pueblo in sight, but this one has cliff dwellings. This one has got the ladders you can climb into some of the cliff dwellings, what they call cavates. And it's got the, well, the original Pueblo at the bottom, there are bits and pieces of it. There's enough of the foundation to get an idea, and there's a lot of great interpretation that goes on there to help you see what this place looks like or would have looked like at its time. But, y'all, I'm just saying, these guys were building, like, four-story tall buildings, these Pueblos, three to four stories. For anyone who says people back in those days were not sophisticated or weren't intelligent, I challenge you to go outside right now with nothing more than rocks and stones and sticks, no saws, no hammers, no nails, and go build me a four-story building that doesn't collapse on itself that people can live in. I challenge you to do that. If you can, hit me up. We'll talk about it because chances are you're lying to me. I couldn't do it, and I used to build houses. I did renovations for years, y'all. I could probably go out there and mock up like a one-story something that might not collapse, you know, with nothing, tools, just not even. Guys, just trust me. You need to see some of these things, and you need to see how sophisticated and how advanced these people were for their lack of technology and what they were able to do. Four-story building, and they lived in it, and it didn't collapse. Think about that. Anyway, there are lots of petroglyphs here. There are lots of remains of the Pueblos and a giant kiva. Remember our, our spiritual... um area of the time, the in-ground pit that would have had a roof that would have been where the spiritual ceremonies were carried out. A big one. Not like the one at Hamesh, which is pretty small. For a small village, it had a small kiva. This one's a big dude because there was a big Pueblo here. It's a really neat site and you get to climb in some of those ladders, on those ladders, and go up into some of those places in the caves on the side of the hill that would have been the cliff dwellings. It's a really special place, guys. And again, ancestral Pueblos. Let me see if we have a time frame on this. Just kind of give you guys an idea. And there's over 3,000 archaeological sites within Bandelier, guys. Yeah, around mid-1200s to up to 1500s. Oh, here we go. 400 room villages, Pueblos. 400 room. But anyway... Yeah, you build me a four-story building with 400 rooms in it with mud daub and brick and adobe and rocks and stones. And yeah, show me you can do that. But anyway, 1300s to 1500s, 1200s to 1500s roughly was the height of this area. And it's, again, just like all of our national parks. Again, I'm a big fan. You know this. Really great interpretation. They have some great 
in the visitor center in the museum, they have some really, really great exhibits to help demonstrate the size, the scope, what it would have looked like at the time. Um, and, and the peoples that lived there and what and how they saw the world and the world that they interacted with. It's a great place. It is a wonderful cultural site to check out. And yet again, one more place that you can get a stamp for your passport, but also expand your mind and expand yourself a little bit and and see a little bit different view of the world through someone else's moccasins, let's say. Walk a mile in someone else's moccasins, right? So I highly, highly recommend doing it. What I don't highly recommend, though, is freaking being a jackass and destroying stuff there. We did not get to go in. There is a cliff like Kiva. They had a Kiva that was in the cliff dwellings. And that's kind of an unusual feature. It was up in the cliff dwellings and it was a Kiva, but it was inaccessible to us on that day that we went. And do you know why? Because of vandalism, someone had vandalized it and they had to close it to try to restore the vandalism. And the day we were there, it just so happened to still be closed because of vandalism. It's beyond me what any of you jerks out there get out of destroying stuff, especially really extremely important stuff like this. I don't know what gets your rocks off about that, but you should definitely seek some kind of psychiatric help because something's wrong with you if it makes you, if it gives you a sense of power or just enjoyment to destroy things, especially cultural things. And especially really, really old, irreplaceable cultural things. Like, there's a special place in hell for people like that. I just, again, I said what I said. And I'll stand by that. I'll die on that hill all day long. That just blew my mind and it makes me angry. But I should stop talking about it because I will say more than I want to. It makes me very angry. But anyway, so because some jerks ruined it for the rest of us, we did not get to experience a very, very unique feature of Bandelier, which was the Kiva in the cliff dwelling sites. Um, but it's definitely something you guys should all check out in the valleys, the views, the history. If you don't care about the history, go for the views. If you don't care about the views, go for the history. Like there's so much going on up there, guys. And also if you're into getting those stamps on your passports, you're not far. And we were out of time. It was the end of the day. We well, went well past, you know, right at dark, well past closing time. So we didn't get to do this. But you're right next to Los Alamos. And maybe for any of you history nerds, you've heard of it. They played a huge role in the Manhattan Project. And it is a national monument or national historic site of a sort. You can get a stamp for that too if you want it. But you can also just go explore and see. Because that's where a lot of people stayed that played a big role in the Manhattan Project and creating that first atomic bomb and ushering us all into the nuclear age, which we are still paying for to this day. But it's literally you drive through it. When you leave Bandelier to go back the fastest way to Santa Fe, you're going through the outskirts, the edge of Los Alamos. I really wanted to explore it, but we did not have time. Literally everything was already closed and it was getting dark. And we were having to head back down the mountain to Albuquerque. And that pretty much wraps up that day. The first three days of our adventure. And it's going to wrap up this episode. I won't take it out like this. We ran ourselves silly that day. We were exhausted rolling back into Albuquerque. We had plans to try to eat in another one of the local restaurants that everyone had been telling us you should go try. But you know what we ended up with? Whataburger through the drive-thru and going back to the hotel 
and chowing down and just literally unwinding and resting from that day. And that to me is the sign of a successful day adventuring guys. When you come in from a day of adventuring doing Mach 2 with your hair on fire and you like slide into the parking lot with the doors falling off of your car and you can't hardly walk in because you're so tired, you have had a successful day of adventure. And we had a successful day of adventure. We drug ourselves into that room with our bag of Whataburger and it was a glorious meal as we recollected and recounted all the things we had done that day and sat down with my journal, my travel journal, and made our notes to try to make sure we could remember all the damn things we did that day. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. And I got news for you guys. We're just getting started. When we get around to our next episode in a couple of weeks, you're going to love it. I think even more because we're going to journey over into Arizona. We're going to hit another national monument, a really biggie you may have heard of. We're going to go out and find a ghost town. We're going to find an abandoned mine and we're going to find some other things that were really, really interesting. It's going to be an exciting episode. I can't wait to get to it, Um, but it's going to have to wait for a couple of weeks because I've got to get out of here for tonight, guys. I need, <laughs> I just got through doing Mach 2 with my hair on fire through this episode that's pushing an hour and 40 something minutes long now, and I've got to edit this dude. So we need to wrap it up. I really appreciate you guys hanging around this far into tonight's episode, if you're still with me. Um, I really appreciate all of you who have hung around and have been around. Um, any of you at any point that have listened to this show, but especially those of you that have been here from the start, thank you guys. Um, any of you new folks coming in, we're getting lots of new listeners. I, I did my guerrilla marketing thing all throughout New Mexico, and we've had tons of website hits and a lot of new listeners. If any of you guys are listening, welcome aboard. Thanks for listening. Please like and subscribe and support us. If you're enjoying it, please share us. Um, and for anything you guys want to know, you can get in touch with me at mywayreadstory at gmail.com. We have a lot of people doing that here lately. We've gotten quite a few more. I enjoy interacting with every single one of you. So please don't hesitate to get in touch or you can go over to our website at waywardstories.com. And that's where, that's the easiest place actually to get to the Instagram and the YouTube. If you want to see all the videos and pictures from this trip that I'm talking about tonight and will be next week, just go to waywardstories.com and it's all right there on the homepage. You can link to all my social media stuff. That would be the easiest thing to do. But anyway, guys, I just want to say thanks for sticking around tonight. I hope you enjoyed tonight's show as much as I enjoyed making it. And I'm really looking forward to seeing you back here again in two weeks. At that point, school will have started back. I will be beehole deep into environmental history of the plains. And uh, we'll see what we have to talk about in housekeeping then. But I'm sure I'll be a little bit grumpy from homework. Anyway... Until we see you guys again, you guys get out there, find you a road trip, find you something to explore, and don't forget to be good to each other.